Welcome to the Making a Runner podcast. I'm your host, Nick, a running specialist, bioconeticist, and coach. And I'm your co-host, Davey, aka Davey on the Run. Through our shared knowledge and experience, we unpack the fascinating topic of running. We speak to coaches, athletes, subject matter experts, and everyday enthusiasts to help you improve your running. And ensure that you enjoy every step of the way, wherever the road or trail may take you. This is how runners are made. It's how runners are made, baby. Oh, yeah. I wasn't massive, um, but I was a lot you know, heavier than what I am now, and I wasn't really a runner at all. Um, and I thought, well, you know, maybe if I train a little bit, I can get a bit faster. And um, yeah, I'm pretty much in that exact same boat to this day. Like, if I train a little bit harder, maybe yeah. I can get a little bit faster. As I finish that session, I get my recovery smoothie in. And it's not going to make a difference the first time you do it the second time but when you consistently do that over years and years and years it's like wow your body is just recovers so much quicker to be able to go again but it's all about having fun it's because vibe, at yeah. the end of the day like you, you're going to have good races and not so good races so if you're not having fun what's the point before getting on to today's conversation we wouldn't be able to bring you our making a runner podcast without the support of our valued sponsors this episode is proudly brought to you by on the move the four bros have been a big supporter of the work I do within the community and they always aim to bring you the finest quality sports, health and lifestyle products to help you achieve and maintain all your desired health and fitness objectives. One of these products I am personally a big fan of is On Running. This sports apparel brand offers Swiss excellence both in quality and performance and has enjoyed key international design and technology awards. Even though when it comes to running shoes, my advice to my clients is always to go on what makes them feel most comfortable, I can guarantee that whether you get yourself into a pair of on shoes for daily life, work or casual purposes, you will not regret it. The shoe is extremely comfortable, stylish and is my go-to for these long hours spent on my feet, especially at work. Make sure to check them out at onthemovestore.com or simply pop into one of their stores in Durban, Joburg or Cape Town. This is a top tip from me to you. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. Nicola! Davide. I am pumped. I'm super pumped. What are you so pumped about, bro? We just had one of the best conversations yeah. of the Making a Runner career, the Making a Runner journey. That was, that was wild for me. That was a fantastic conversation. We really look forward to you guys listening to it. But I just want to ask Davy a question yes. before we start. Oh, yeah, tell me. Davy. Yeah. Have you ever thought of quitting your job and chasing your running passion? Every single day, my friend. Every single day. Every right? single day, I dream of it. <laughs> so this guy went ahead and did that. But you have to listen to the, to, right to the end for him to actually give you the pointers of how he did it and what he you gives shouldn't you a, do He gives it. you a step-by-step plan. If you plan on quitting <laughs> your job and following your running dreams, you got to listen till the end. <laughs> but guys, today on the show, we have Nick Bester. Just a little Bester. Just a little Bester. Not the ordinary Bester that we have come in to South know Africa, yeah. in South African running. Different. Uh, the former Comrades Marathon Champion. This is a different Nick Bester. Hopefully he, also hopefully a Marathon One day champion. will be a Comrades Marathon Champion. He's got an extremely incredible story. You know, he's been running for nine years. He, he quit his job a couple of years ago to chase his full-on passion of running, became a coach, started a running club. He is a South African export living in London right now and has run a time of two hours and 20 minutes. And eight seconds. And eight seconds. At Can't Berlin forget Marathon. the eight seconds. Yeah. And, his, uh, and his maiden comrades, he ran a 7.14, now down to a 6.28. In his first ever uh, marathon, he did a 3.17. So guys, 
it's really an exciting conversation. We can't wait for you all to hear it. He is he is someone that I really you know look up to. He um, he pretty much is living the running dream. He's an amazing person, doing really amazing things. Yeah, so he's an absolute legend, guys. Yeah, so enjoy, enjoy the it. conversation. Yeah, is just a little bester. Nick, thank you so much for taking the time today to chat to us. We look forward to getting to know you a little bit better and making our getting our listeners to know a little bit more about just a little bester. Can you give us a little bit of information about you? Sure, sure, sure. Um, yeah, I really stoked to be chatting to you guys today. Um, so yeah, a bit about me, I suppose. You know what? When my original running days were in South Africa, as you can yeah, I've got, still got a very strong South African <laughs> accent, even though I've lived in London for oh, over over six years, almost six and a half years. Wow. If anything, my South African accent's gotten stronger. I'm in Southwest London, where a lot of South Africans just tend to, to flock to. <laughs> but um, yeah, I started I started running when I was 20. Three um, committed to doing comrades when I was 24. That's actually the, the only reason why I started running is because I committed to comrades, and I thought, you know, it's it's 90 k's. It's not a joke. Like I, I was winging a lot of things in life, and I still wing a lot of things in life. But that was one race that I was like, you probably need to prepare uh, a decent amount for. Um, so yeah, that's that's pretty much why I started running at, at 23, and then. After training for, for a little bit, I did my first marathon, which was Carps of Hope Marathon. And yeah, thankfully, it was, it's a downhill marathon. Yeah, it's a fast So one. my time was probably quicker than what it would have been. Um, can you, give us, flat can, can you did, give us some time, yeah. though, please? Because I... Wait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, 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 yeah sure, but like, sure. Give us the progression. <laughs> we'll get there, but like... No, so, so my... The first marathon I did was three hours, 17 minutes. Oh, and so um, I didn't... Yeah, I didn't know what to expect like at all I mean I didn't even know what a good or bad marathon time was then I, I wasn't a runner at all I chafed from all angles and everywhere I chafed in places you'd, I didn't even know you could chafe um, <laughs> and yeah I just remember that last 10k's of the marathon actually probably similar to the last 10k's of this marathon that I recently did just being in like you know a, a dark place pretty much and thinking like wow this is this is a rough place to be and yeah, I thought that was my first. It'll never ever be that hard again. <laughs> but um, marathons tend to surprise you, and yeah, you obviously do get faster and faster. But I suppose they they never really get easier. You just get more used to the pain. Although I don't know if I'm pretty much was used to the pain that I was in last weekend. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's how it started, and and I, I did a three seventeen, and then from there I thought, you know, that's semi decent. My my longest run I think was I did one twenty one and one thirty, um, and I was like. That's not too bad. And a few people were like, you know, a little bit surprised as to that time. They didn't really expect that. And I suppose I didn't either. I was like, I, was, I wasn't massive, um, but I was a lot, you know, heavier than what I am now. And I wasn't really a runner at all. Um, and I thought, well, you know, maybe if I train a little bit, I can get a bit faster. And um, yeah, I'm pretty much in that exact same boat to this day. Like if I train a little bit harder, maybe yeah. I can get a little bit faster. So yeah, I've, since then, I've done yeah three comrades, a couple of two oceans, quite a few ultras in South Africa before moving across to London, and then I've been targeting sort of like international marathon majors. I've probably done about about fourteen ultras in my life, I would say, in the last nine years, and and just over fifty marathons. Wow. Um, but yeah, targeting the the faster road marathons, but looking forward to coming to return to to comrades one day. No, that's great, man. I think it gives a nice sort of background into your running history. Um, I mean, you know, 
you didn't need to tell us that you were South African just by the fact that you know you went <laughs> straight into it with comrades. They eh? didn't <laughs> didn't stuff around, beat around the bush. That was sort of from what I've read, like your motivation to get into running. Is that so? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's hundred percent correct. You know what I think in the environment I was growing not growing up in, but running in, everyone was targeting comrades and it was like the thing to do. So it was like if you're a decent runner, like you end up running comrades. It was yeah. like it wasn't really a choice or whatever. It was like that's what a lot of the, the good club runners were doing. And um yeah, I suppose only after being across this side for a few years that I realized like that's crazy. Like Comrades is a crazy race. Like that's not normal. I thought it was normal because everyone around me was doing it, but it's far from normal. And it took me a few years of living here to realize that, um, yeah, it's actually, you know, a huge achievement for runners that do it and definitely not normal. Especially to so many runners that pretty much go straight to it without necessarily like biding their time, building to the 10, the 21, the 42. Usually a lot of them, if it wasn't for the qualifier that they had to do, they'd probably do their first 42 in Comrades. And the amount of people that when they run Comrades, they're Mm. running their PB42 at Comrades as well is is so many. Were you one of those with your 317 first marathon and obviously going on to your, your maiden Comrades being a silver? That's quite an incredible achievement. Uh, tell us a little bit about that. Cool, cool, sure. Yeah, so I, I think once again, like going into comrades, I didn't know what to expect. Sort of like I knew I could maybe run a silver, but a lot of people were like, because in my mind, you know, it was five minute Ks, or I think it was 458 per kilometer mm-hmm. base you had to average for taking into account, you know, GPS and stuff on route. So I was like, 458 a K doesn't sound too fast, but, you know, a lot of the experienced comrades runners are like, uh, not in your first comrades and maybe you can get there one day but like very few people do it in their first and this, this, this. I was like okay well I've always you know what I've always backed myself and I think like one thing that motivates me is it, almost if someone tells you like you can't really do it and it's kind of like okay you want to do it for yourself but you also want to show them that you actually can do it Yeah. so yeah I think that there wasn't that much call it expectations that I would do a silver and I, so, so from 317 I managed to progress. My next marathon was actually under three. So it was a few months later. I think it was Johnson Crane. So I did, I went carbs up and then Johnson Crane's normally early in the year. I did like 258. And then I did a couple of the marathons you do in a build-up growing up in Joburg. Yeah. Sort of like I got to, I think, around sort of like a 255 marathon time. Um, and went since doing my first comrades based on that marathon time. But I was doing it like, you know, every second week or so. So I definitely built up um good base. I had quite quite good people around me that were giving me advice and then I went into comrades hoping for a silver but not expecting one and um yeah once again I think <laughs> 70 k's in after the like comfortably tracking on time and um the last 20 k's was like it actually was a bit of a blur almost like the last 10 k's in the marathon but one thing our club had I ran for for box Dairies club is we had like prize giving afterwards and there was a prize for the fastest person over the last seven k's and I was like, that's one thing I want to like pride myself on, whatever. So I got over that max of seven kids to go. And I just remember like, you know, giving it my all. I don't think I won that prize, but that kind of kept me motivated to to push through and get sub five minute kids towards the end. And yeah, I finished in seven hours, 14 minutes. So, you know, it was like comfortably under silver. Um, and I, yeah, it was, it was really like such a sweet achievement. And I think, you know, to this day, like, I've achieved a lot more since then, but finishing comrades and especially your first comrades is like, oh man, it's an emotional feeling that's come second to none in, in road running. So yeah. yeah, what a feeling that was. 
you 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 sounding very humble at the moment because I mean you're speaking so nicely about these achievements, but they 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 you know far from what you've managed to achieve currently. Um, but I mean, I also want to talk about you know like you've come from three seventeen right, and in the first time you did your your your, your first ever sub three marathon was that a, was that a big achievement for you or was that was that something that you thought was going to be a challenge or did you tick that bucket quite easily? So you know what I think. It was obviously a big achievement for me, but it's not something I struggled with for a long time. So, uh, like uh, my first ever marathon was three seventeen, and I've done yeah probably in the region of like fifty five, and all other ones have been under three since then. So I haven't gone over three again. And I think that's for me the the first time I did it was awesome, but it wasn't the goal that I was struggling with to get. And I think the goals yeah. I've struggled with to get have meant more to me. So a good example might be like. I had a stumbling block trying to break 17 minutes for 5Ks. So I came across to the UK and I guess my first three comrades, it was 7.14, then I went 6.58 um, in the up run the next year, and then I went 6.28 in the down run. Um, so I was 24, 25, 26, then I moved over to London. And when I moved over to London, even though I was doing a 6.28 comrades, which I think put me 73rd overall, I wasn't able to break 17 minutes for 5Ks, which was quite strange because, sure. yeah, like, insane. you know, the, the the people around me were a lot quicker than that over the shorter stuff. But because yeah. I was solely focusing my training on combat and that ultra power, ultra strength, I didn't have that shorter leg speed. So when I came over, I was like, okay, I want to break 17 minutes for 5Ks. And I just, it took me almost two years to do that. Like, I really, I tried and I got close and I got close. And I was just like, I felt like it was within me almost at the moment, like 220 in a way is within me, but I just, I couldn't execute. I just couldn't do it. And then once I finally broke 17 minutes for 5Ks, that was like almost like an emotional thing for me because I'd worked and failed and tried so hard. And then from that moment, I was able to like, it's almost like I got that monkey off my back Yeah. and training. I really hit the sweet spot in training and just kept on going, kept on going. And yeah, I mean, my 5K time now is 1434. Yeah. Um, but you know, not, not too long ago, like a few years ago, I'd just broken 17. And that to me meant more than like breaking 15 for five because it was something I was trying to do for a long time. And what do you think made breaking 17 so difficult? I don't know. I, I think uh, so. My marathon times have progressed sort of like four to five minutes on yeah. uh, each year. Um, so yeah, currently at the two twenty pace. Like it's a bit of a stumbling block last weekend, but I feel like I can definitely get faster eventually. You know, I'm not going to improve by four or five minutes each year. Obviously, sure. it's going to it's going to hit the peak at some point. Uh, but I still feel like I'm far from there, which is quite nice. But the the seventeen minute park, I don't know. I was getting stronger, but I just wasn't able to like executed properly and yeah when I finally did it was awesome and then it was like okay cool that goal sticks off and now I can focus on, on other things yeah, so, yeah. No, it's just fascinating obviously because I mean your progression you know has been has been amazing so to find to find a block there around 17 and then once you got that just you know fast through all the way to uh, what was it 14 14 1434 yeah. yeah. is unbelievable but I think it just goes to show like you know it, it takes time to to build somewhat into the runner that we're currently seeing here you know a lot of people are seeing your ability to run right now the monster sessions that you're putting together and they just look at it and be like 
flip that is insane how how does he even do that but you know what they don't see is the amount of hard work that has gone in over the last nine years of training and that you know once you hit those stumbling blocks and you work and work and work and you eventually break through like you say it is it is an emotional thing to be able to 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 get to that goal and be able to even look further ahead but i know that you you mentioned obviously moving across to the uk what what was the reason for moving across um yeah so that was just to travel originally so you know we're very happy in south africa you know love love the lives we live there but it was a good opportunity uh, my wife actually came across with her company um and we were we were only ever going to come for two years to travel and yeah here we are six years later about to get our british passports and, and very settled yeah i've obviously set up my coaching company and club um so Definitely, you know, thinking long term, staying staying in the UK and London. But yeah, originally it was a two year plan, and um, I must say, one thing that you know made us love this place a lot is the running scene here. Um, there's just so many runners; it's crazy. I don't know if you know if you've ever been across to, to London or the UK, but the magnitude and the quality of runners here, and the races, the park runs, the, yeah. there's just so many things going on all the time and um, it's really like a thriving environment and makes it you know uh, uh, like as a runner you thrive in London there's just so many good runners good people and it's awesome well that's what I wanted to ask you because it was sort of something that I, one of the the guys actually asked me uh, what is, what is the difference that you found between the running scene in South Africa and the UK? I mean, as South Africans, we also, we're extremely yeah, we're passionate. we're very proud of our We running love scene. running. There's a lot of runners in this country, but what are the, the standout differences? 100%, 100%. So, you know what? I think the, the first biggest difference, which I learned when I moved over here, is in South Africa, when you run, everyone greets each other. It's like a thing you wave, you know, say hello. And in a lot of like the country towns and stuff, people actually tend to greet and it's like that. But in London, very few people greet you. And I think, you know what? I try to make it my mission in the beginning to try and greet people to get them to greet me back. But they would like look at you funny and be like, why is this guy talking to me something? And I think it's just because London is like, got basically, it's such a multinational city that it's got so many people and there's so much going on all the time. So people just tend to go into their bubbles. And um, yeah, I kind of did the same. So I was, you know, I was running the other day and someone, I was in my own world and someone greeted me. And yeah, it was like a bit of a, a shock to the system for me. I was like, whoa, didn't expect that. So yeah, that's one of the differences. Another difference is that running in, I remember I was running in um, Johannesburg a lot, um, but I would say running in South Africa, training in South Africa is a lot harder than in the UK in general, um, and especially in London. London, you know, it's very low altitude. The weather's normally, I think it's like six degrees outside now. And it's like, that's like almost perfect running weather. So you're able to hit good times in training and it's it's nice to yeah. do that. But at the same time, ultimately, you have an advantage training in South Africa, you know, at altitude if you are or at, on rolling heels and stuff like that because it's tougher. So it's harder to get out the door and you're not nailing sessions as much, but it's making you so strong for, you know, races for when you do go and race, let's say international races or Comrades or Two Oceans or Cape Town Marathon or anything like that. So there's definitely a training advantage there. I would rather have a much harder training environment than almost near perfect conditions and terrain to train in. Another thing to consider is that running here is very runner friendly, if that makes sense. So like there's so many beautiful big parts, like Richmond Park is my favorite place in the world to run in. It's an 11 and a half kilometer loop. You just like 
there's just runners and cyclists. It's just like runners heaven. There's, you know, animals everywhere and stuff like that. So it's really appealing. And there's probably about six or seven routes here in London where it's like along the river into central London, in Battersea Park, Richmond Park, that are just out of this world. And it's like, I'm so privileged that I realize how privileged you are running here when you go to other destinations and it's not as nice. Yeah. So yeah, I think, it's, I think honestly, London, even though it's a big city, it's weird. It's probably one of the best destinations in the world to run. So when are we going? Hey, I, I'm, wait, so, wait. I'm sold, eh? I'm ready, to, I'm ready to pack a bag. I'm going to go hit one of those best athletics uh, track sessions, I reckon. Nick, be, For sure. Be, before we get onto that topic, tell us a little bit about prior to Nick the runner, you know, Nick the coach. What, what, where was Nick's mind at? What was, what was sort of something that you were chasing? Were you always, did you always have a plan to sort of pursue the running, pursue the coaching? Uh, no, not not at all, actually. So I worked at Investec, a South African bank, and I worked there for almost 10 years. So I was in South Africa for like six years, six or seven years where I worked there, and then the first sort of, you know, three to four years when I was over here. So, yeah, I mean, if you look at, you know, my working career, it's like I've only been a running coach for two years, and I, I did that for 11, 10, 11 years. So I suppose in a way... I would say like, it's weird because it feels like I've been doing this my whole life. But actually, if you look at the bigger scheme of things, this is still relatively new. Yeah. And um, yeah, you know, I actually, I really enjoyed working there. It was awesome. I was, you know, thriving. But at the same time, I was a mortgage banker and um, I was a very passionate runner. And I think, you know, at, at the time of me leaving Investec, I was a sub-230 marathoner living the corporate life. I'd just broken 230. I went 229.50 at Berlin Marathon. And that sort of prompted a lot of people. Investex is quite a, a um, active organization. So a lot of people were coming to me for like running tips, running advice. Mm-hmm. And my team around me did not like running at all. So I felt so bad for them because people would just talk, run, 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 run. And I can speak it all day long, but I think they must have absolutely hated it. And then, yeah, I suppose from there I realized, you know, it's, it was always, always been my true passion since I got into it, let's say. And... I think from helping one or two people early on, I quickly began to realize like, wow, these people are improving. It's rewarding. They loving it. I'm loving it. And that's how it started. And yeah, that's how it started around in the beginning. Man, but uh, building up from there, I mean, what was the deciding factor that just made you say, okay, well, that's it. I'm, I'm going to chase this fully. I'm going to chase this running passion of mine fully. And I'm going to dive into, into the coaching full on. Yeah, yeah. So that's quite so cool. You, do you know what? It's, it, it was and it was risky and it was very, very hard. Like, I think if I look at, you know, where things are at in the clubs at now, I'm so proud of it. But if I, if I rewind to even a year and a half ago, it was super, super tough. I think I, I made the decision uh, just after COVID to go full time. And the reason why is because I had quite a, a, it was quite a big growth in an early amount of time. So I started coaching one or two people within the bank that I was helping and then you know, they told their friends and then I started charging because it was taking quite a lot of my time. And then at that stage, it went from like five people to like 30 people in the space of a couple of months. And I thought, whoa, it's gone from five to 30, like sweet. If it continues at this progression, like it's a no brainer. So then I kind of like really went all into running coaching and COVID it, it, it was at the same time as COVID and running coaching, you know, it is sort of a luxury in many ways as well. So a lot of 
you know, runners that I was coaching, unfortunately, were in a different financial position and, and have to cut it. But it also prompted a whole generation of new runners that weren't running before that needed a bit of assistance. So yeah, sure. it, it had its ups and downs, but it definitely didn't like progress how it did in the beginning. And I was like second guessing myself. I didn't really have a, a, like an influencer's profile or anything like, you know what I mean? I was just, I was a decent runner that, that was maybe fairly knowledgeable, helping people trying to improve. And then I think eventually, like, I mean, I say eventually, but for six months, it was super, super hard. And, you know, I was in a much worse position than what I was before, but I knew I had to give it a chance. Yeah. And I knew, not at the end of giving it a chance, but it wasn't growing the way I had hoped. And it was just a struggle, right? And I started looking at, like, other jobs, maybe at, like, working as, like, a school coach on the side and, and stuff like that, um, and really considered things. And then... At that stage, uh, quite a few of my runners really started to improve and they were um, like publicizing it. And uh, yeah, it's amazing that the power of social media these days as well. And, you know, quite a few like influencers and stuff joined me um, just by chance, I suppose. And they started documenting their journeys and they, people were like, oh, wow, this guy's coached by Nick or just a little better and, and they're doing better. And that sort of created like quite a bit of hype. And then all of a sudden it was like, wow, okay the applications are coming in again and yeah. I can finally pursue this property. So yeah, they went from yeah, thirty for a long time till probably, you know, to just over a hundred in the space of a few months because so it was just like the height was there. Unreal. Yeah. And then um yeah, since then I've obviously had to we're a team of five now. You know, there's there's over two hundred coached runners within the team, uh, across the coaches <laughs> and uh it's 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 constantly growing, which is great. So yeah, I think that initial phase was super super tough, and a lot of coaches out there or people trying to do the same thing are always asking, like, how did I get to where I am, or or stuff, because it's a really tough environment. I yeah. mean, there's so many running coaches around, you know. But yeah, it was it was super super tough, and um, I suppose you just got to be true to yourself, do the best you can do, and if people believe in you and if you bring out the best in people, then it's, it's going to work. So, yeah. yeah, that's where things are at now. And then, yeah, apart from that, I've obviously registered the running club, which is separate to the coaching. Yeah. Um, and that's also, that's I think that's at like 300 and, or 330 members and once again growing daily. So it's definitely one of the, the fastest growing running clubs in the UK. Um, global, and it's sort of like a... It's a global running club, eh? So anybody in the world can join it. So, so you know what? It's an England Athletics Registered Running Club. Um, so to be officially England Athletics Registered, you have to be in the UK. But having said that, um, there's quite a few international runners that just want to be part of the community. So they're part of Best Athletics, but they're not officially registered yeah. with England yeah. Athletics. But just because, you know, they want to be on the WhatsApp group, part of the <laughs> community and stuff like that, which is awesome. I, ha I have uh, two things I, I want to say. I want to take it back to your Investic days. I, I think okay. I, I think you should have approached them and started the Investic Running Club. Nedbank Running Club would have been dead in the water. You could have just had all of them, all, all of them running under you. Um, but you also, you honestly, I mean, I get goosebumps, you know, just listening to your story. Uh, you're such an inspiration to someone like me because I look at your journey and I'm like, you know, like I, I aspire to a lot of what you are doing and what you have achieved. And just like, I can, I can, I can immediately hear your passion for running, and like you just, you're really, really passionate about it, and I feel the exact same way about it. And and then like you hear like, oh, he did it. Maybe it's possible. But um, obviously, I mean, your running times are, are exceptional. I mean, I dream 
I, I actually, I think I saw a picture on Instagram. You, you did it. You went from a two forty five to a, I think it was that picture of you at two forty five to two twenty two or something. Was that correct, or was it? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, th- I think it was two forty two to two twenty. Yeah, and and I look at that, and that's always uh, honestly like I've always that's been like my like my end goal, and I'm like I'm nowhere near it at the moment. But all I'm trying to say is is you're very inspirational, and I think with your coaching, like you're also you've got you've got something infectious about you, which is like. I think people obviously want to be coached by you because you're very approachable, you're very knowledgeable, you seem like a very, very nice person. And then, I mean, coaching can also be quite intimidating sometimes. So you seem to have something really good going on, and obviously you do, but it's very inspirational, very, very. Cool, cool. Thank you so much. Yeah, That's the one thing I would say also about um, the coaching side of things is that it's so much more than just a plan. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's, you can go online and you can get plans anywhere you want. Like there's, there's, you can you can follow people on Strava, get their sessions. You can, like, there's so much research now that you actually can do your own coaching. But yeah. I think it's crucial from a coaching point of view to be able to um, bring out the best in your athletes. Let's say so. A lot of it, like, is just you know installing belief into runners and helping them believe that they can do it. Getting getting setting realistic expectations, but because. When you run day in and day out, and and um, you know coach coach quite a few people, and they have been doing it for some time, you, you kind of get used to. Okay, cool. This is your ability. This is your potential. Um, occasionally, some athletes, you know, might surprise you big time, and you're like, wow, that's incredible. Um, but yeah, I honestly find it more satisfying helping others get PBs than myself. And I think you know you can't force that in a lot of people. I think that's part of maybe why it's worked so well is just because I really thrive off keep my, my runners improving. Yeah. yeah, look, it's extremely rewarding to see your runners do well. And obviously you also, as a, as a runner that's being coached by you, you're seeing your coach leading from the front, you know, really talking the talk and walking the yeah. walk. And I, I also like what you what, like what you strive to do in terms of like, you know, on Strava, you put your sets out on Strava. You don't care what anybody says. You don't care what anybody looks at and tries to copy that. Like there's nothing wrong. You're on your own journey. You're doing what's best for you. And at the end of the day, that that's what we all should be running for, right? We all into running for our own personal reasons whether it's uh, hitting a time or whether it's mental wellness or you know so I think it's extremely important that as a coach you are able to lead from the front like you do and obviously that's got a that's a major factor and the reason why best athletics is doing as well as it is doing and I'm sure that all the coaches that are working in that environment have learned from from your luck so you know it's 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 no wonder that you are in a successful yeah. environment and your athletes are thriving I mean I saw that stat at at Seville you guys basically your combined times were the best out of all the running clubs that were yeah. there is that correct yeah, that that absolutely blew my mind. That's I crazy. Believe it. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, it was like three seventeen. Crazy. That's... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So the average the average club pace was three seventeen. Yeah, it's phenomenal. Eh? Phenomenal, man. And so moving on from best athletics, you as a coach, I mean, you've obviously done your your coaching certifications and all of that. But do you feel that you are sort of the test dummy and you're trying things out and seeing yeah, how your yeah. body is reacting and, and adapting your training along the way as you go along. Uh, because I mean, what's the major change that, that has happened other than time from that 317 to 220? Yeah. I also like, like, yeah. like what were the changes that you put in place to go from that, you know, what, what we say 242 to 222. I know it's faster than that, but like nutrition, yeah. d- different training methods, like what did you, what did you um, put in place? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
probably the most common question I get asked is like, how did how you did go you from there it? to there? And, <laughs> so I'll touch base on a few things, but I mean, there's no massive secret. Um, so yeah, first of all, I think um, on the coaching side, so I've, I've actually always been self-coached myself and part of it is because I like to use myself as like a test dummy. So I'll, you know, look at what a lot of the world's best are doing, try the sessions myself, almost or basically every single session that my team does, I've tried in the past and I've been like, whoa, that's cool or, oh, that was tough, tough thing. And it's really cool, I think, as a coach when you've gone through the motions yourself because then you kind of know where the athlete's coming from when they say, you know, they hit a bit of a blip in this or they found the session super rewarding. You're like, ah, I know I've been there before. So what I try and do is I have like a coaching principle that I follow myself and, you know, it's on Strava, pretty much whatever training I do is on there. There's no secrets in there at all. Um, but it, I tend to vary the level of volume um, and intensity per runner to a degree. So some people, like if, if you're targeting a marathon, let's say, so I might do a Kipchoge session that's 15 times one kilometer um, and 15 Ks worth of track volume, you know, which is crazy. I think back to my earlier running days or, or some of the runners I coach, but some of them might do like four or five or six times one kilometer and that's their sweet spot. So it's trying to find their sweet spot rather than, than them saying, oh, let me try to do what a sub-220 trainer would do and just, completely break so it's just about finding the sweet spot for each person and and testing it myself and i think part of the reason i think why i've been self-coached is because i like to have the freedom to play around and and do do like have some leeway um the the other thing uh, so how i've been able to progress from 317 to to 220 hopefully sub 220 definitely sub 220 one day let's be positive is honestly just by i suppose you hear it all the time, consistency is number one rule. Then the next thing is by training smart, I would say. In my comrades days, for the first two years of my running, I've been running for nine and a half years, I was kind of just doing the same thing day in and day out. I was running my route. I wasn't doing anything else but running, you know, getting back, running, doing the same thing. Then as soon as I started doing like really varying the days, like easy days, taking them easy, hard days, crushing them, going super hard, like not racing, but like really giving it a good go, then recovering, then giving it a good go, constantly doing that. And then when you see the, the improvement start, you're like, wow, okay, this works. So, you know, track Tuesdays, I've done probably 45 out of the 52 weeks in a year for the last nine and a half years, right? Um, and that's been a big degree to how I've been able to, a massive, massive, massive factor into how I've been able to get faster because I'm running at a lot faster than race pace then. And, you know, hopefully that trend will continue. And then I think, yeah, it's, it's a lot of the, the so, so I would say track Tuesdays help me get faster. And then a lot of like the tempo Thursdays or the big long runs and stuff, that really works on my stamina for, for the longer runs and, you know, being able to sustain pace over the longer distance. All the other bits in, in between are recovery. So I was able to progress, let's call it to like a 2.30 marathoner, right? But then from 2.30 to 2.20 is like a world of difference. Mm. Um, and I think even, you know, if I try and one day, maybe, I don't know, if, like if someone's a 2.10 runner, to other people, they might think 2.10 and 2.20 is not that different. Like it is humongously different. And I found that I was having to be a lot more disciplined and focus on a lot more of the smaller things that go a long way to find those marginal gains. So like before, you know, I would, I still, you know, try and have a, as much of a social life as possible and, and keep that going. But I, I can't go as crazy as I did before because it does actually affect you um, in the end. You know, like I, you have to 
sort of like tighten up on eating a little bit cleaner and, you know, you can have a few drinks but not going crazy all the time. And that sort of stuff definitely adds up, I find. And then, yeah, all the little bits around the running, um, as in like the recovery. So sleep is crucial. You know, getting at least around eight hours sleep is massively crucial, especially when you're doing big training. And I know very few of us probably get eight hours sleep because life's just crazy. And focusing on recovery from the point of view that if your body's tight and your muscles are tight, um, you need to treat them, release them to be able to run at your best in the harder sessions. So like I come back from a track session and I might do like a foam rolling session, massage gun, and then sit in my recovery boots while I, you know, do a bit of phone work or training peaks or stuff like that. So all of that, that's helped. Um, another thing, which is a small thing that I think goes a long way is, is honestly just getting recovery protein in within half an hour of your session, but the sooner the better. So I didn't used to do that in my early days running at all. Like I didn't know it wasn't a thing, but the more I followed, you know, the world's best and the more I've, you know, done more research is like, as I finish that session, I get my recovery smoothie in and it's not going to make a difference the first time you do it or the second time. But when you consistently do that over years and years and years, it's like, wow, your body is just recovers so much quicker to be able to go again. So like small things like that, I could probably talk about a hundred small things, but it's little things like that. I want, I want to know what's in that smoothie, please. (laughs) I want to know what's in that smoothie. If you love the work we are doing and the impact that Making a Runner has had on the running community so far, then why not become an official Making a Runner fan? That's right, guys. Making the Runner is now on Patreon. Although this started purely as a passion project, we have had to become realistic about the time and cost of running a successful podcast. And that is why we've decided to set up a Patreon membership where our fans can make a pledge to support our work and help us further expand our reach into the greater global running community. If you're not in a position to commit to something like this, that's okay. We appreciate each and every listen and owe all our success to you. But if you want to make a pledge and become a super fan of the show, make sure to go and visit patreon.com forward slash making a runner. Thank you for your continued support and enjoy the rest of the show. Genuine <laughs> question. Genuine question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I mean, is that a, you said a protein, a protein smoothie, but... Yeah, yeah. So it's, a, it's very basic. So I... I'm with Science and Sports. I'm a Science and Sports ambassador and they've got Rego Recovery Protein um, and I aim to get around 24 grams of recovery protein in on the harder days and around 20 on the easier days. And, and carbs? And so I'll have carbs after that. So I'll have a protein shake straight away um, just so that it can get into the, the body and the muscles because you've you know, depleted them a bit. Uh, I'll then have a shower and stuff and then I'll come back and have sort of a, a combination of you know, protein and carbs. Yeah, yeah. okay. Um, just yeah. to replace my stuff. Nick and I love science and sport. We we struggle yeah. to get it here in South Africa, but we're big fans of those isotonic gels. Just yeah, yeah like very good. <laughs> I look, Nick. I think. Yeah, you, have you guys tried the beta fuel gels? We can't. We struggle to get it here, man. So next time you come uh, down, we'll <laughs> buy you an extra suitcase, and you can uh, yeah. you can ship the vest, you can ship the the gels, <laughs> everything, right? But yeah, look, I think cool. the way that you've lined that up. I mean, it just yeah. goes to show your your broad yeah. knowledge on the topic. I think you hit sort of all of the major pointers in there. Obviously, recovery is a major factor. And the, I think one of the biggest factors for amateur runners, obviously living, working, normal nine to five jobs and trying to achieve certain goals, like it's just, it's so difficult to first of all, even find the time to get the right nutrition in, then find the time to make sure that you're getting that sleep in. Like, And you you 
wearing the body out by doing high volume training and a lot of people like to do high quality and high volume at the same time because they don't know the difference between it and it's it's sort of a recipe for disaster and then you're hitting like these these plateaus and you don't understand like you think you're doing everything right but like you say, Nick, it's it's all in the small little percentages. Once you get to that pinnacle, as as you saw in the beginning, like you said, it wasn't actually that difficult for you to bake three hours. But now, as, as you're finding out to go 230, 220, and I mean, I want to hear, what what do you think your apex, your pinnacle potential is? I mean, what is it when you wake up, the dream that you have? Olympics. Well, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you are sort of, at that elite level, I mean, you know, you you on that World Athletics website, you've got your page there. You're in the top <laughs> thousand marathon runners in the world. You came 49th at Berlin Marathon. Like that's man, that's elite level for me, you know. So, what what is what is your top goal, and what do you feel your body's capable of doing? Thanks, guys. Thanks. Appreciate your kind words. Um, yeah, you know what? I actually I still feel like I'm a very much social runner, just trying to improve in a way, and. Um, I had like quite a surreal experience now at Civil Marathon where I got an elite entry and I was ranked 123 of the 126 elite males. And um, like in the hotel, it was like <laughs> Team Kenya was there, Team Ethiopia. There was like a Moroccan team and an Egyptian team. There was just wherever I looked, there was just Olympic tattoos everywhere. And I was like thinking like, you know, how am I around these guys? Like, obviously, I, I just snuck in, but at the same time, I snuck in. So it was kind of like yeah, you a case of That's crazy. this is super intimidating, but I belong to be here in a way yeah, yeah. as well. So, yeah, it was, it was pretty cool, guys. It was awesome. And I wish I, I um, could have taken a bit more content, but those guys are, are seriously getting in the zone, and I wanted to respect <laughs> that as well. So, and there you are with, your, like, with your GoPro. <laughs> hey! Yeah, they, they're in their country, yeah. tracksuits and stuff, and I've got blue hair oh, with, but- you know, Adidas please can i because i, I wanted to touch on that tell it tell me about the blue hair please like what is, what is the, what is the meaning behind it what is it because like guys if you follow nick on instagram it's just a little best you you'll see this blue stripe in his hair i don't know what it's about please tell me what what's the meaning behind it, it looks ridiculous though. no honestly it's the, the meaning behind it is just because i i want to enjoy races and I, I love races and i think that pretty much is like it's race day, cool, let me get it. I always get a race day cut and I put blue in my hair literally because my club my club colour is blue. I got I try and get different things, you know, shaved into the side of my head, which is a bit ridiculous, but it's all about having fun it's because bomb, at yeah. the end of the day, like you are gonna have good races and not so good races. So if you're not having fun, what's the point? Um so so that's why it's all about that. I think um, I, I, but yeah, I, I think no, I, I was just saying, I, I think Nick and I need to pull that one off as well. Well, I, I, I shave a mozzie on my face for, for comrades. I don't know but what let's, you're doing. Let's spread our hair. <laughs> What's our club colors? Yellow. Yellow. yellow let's do yellow. yellow. <laughs> <laughs> and will look da- like little bumblebees. Yeah, Davey, Davey's going to shave a dolphin onto the side <laughs> of his head. <laughs> I will. I will. <laughs> but, so, what, oh, what? I love that. But Jog, going back to your question, I think, what am I capable of? To be honest, I really don't know. I think had you told me 221 day, there's no way I would ever, ever, ever would have believed it, ever. That's why having recently run 221, I missed my goal of 220, but having come from a 317 background, I'm just like, are you kidding me? Like, how can you not be happy with that goal? So where I'm at now, like I never thought I would get to, but at the same time, guys, I feel like I've got so much more potential. Um, And I think there's a lot of positives to take from this recent race, even though, you know, if you look at my splits, I faded quite badly towards the end. I think mm. on another day, on another day with a bit more training like that's going to pay off. 
and, yeah. and it could have gone the other way. And unfortunately, it wasn't to be on that day. But when it does, then, um, you know, it's going to be a lot better. So I don't know where my limitations lie, but I'm keen to find out. So, yeah, oh, I feel like I can get a lot quicker, which is great. Yeah, yeah look, I, I definitely want to get talking more about the Seville Marathon attempt. And I think that's sort of where we'll go to. But before before we get there, I want to just chat quickly about your PB. So Berlin, the 2.20.08. Um, there's obviously mm. that photo that you that you post of, of you in the warm-up area, you know, warming up mm. the, the goat the, the yeah. <laughs> as he's about to prepare himself for, the, for his world record marathon. I mean, that must have been... Just an incredible moment in your in your in your life, really. Yeah, guys, that was probably one of the top three moments in my life. I'm not even joking. I think, <laughs> like I said, you know, the elite experience was surreal. I think that experience was so crazy because if Kipchoge was coming to London or something for like a meet and greet, I would book out my day to go and try and meet him. So to meet him outside of a meet and greet yeah. in the actual it's running crazy. environment where he's about to take on and he does break the world record, yeah. which I hope stands forever because it was cool to fist pump him just before he did. But to see him in that environment and see how focused he was, is like, it doesn't get more real than that because the guy's in the zone. He's not there to smile and sign autographs and half five. Like he means business. And um, yeah, I suppose once again, to feel like a social runner in that space was just like, what just happened type thing. And I think, Kipchoge, he's so humble from the point of view that even when I first pumped him, you know, he walked up to me with like his arms crossed, like, you know, like a naughty little school kid in a way. And I was just like, are you joking? Like you, Elliot Kipchoge, yeah. you are like, you know, the best marathon of all time. Like you are incredible. And he's just got this humble, humble aura about him. And even the other pros there that are like sub 210 marathon runners, they're looking at Kipchoge like he's an ice cream. They're like, wow, <laughs> this is Kipchoge. And that, that's when you realize, like these, when Olympians look at you like that, then I think you realize and he's just doing his thing and he's got his little like pace crew that, that follow him around and I suppose, you know, kind of look after him. But yeah, that was awesome. And I think in Berlin, I was like, okay, we're in the same warm-up area. I can go do my little leg swings down there or I could jog behind him and just soak it all up and, and obviously, wow. you know, not put him off because he's getting in the zone. So that's what I did. And um, yeah, it was awesome, eh? It was so, so cool to, so, to see him. So you reckon that got you pumped for, for your race, eh? You, you must have been ready to go. You thought two, two, sub 220 on that day? Was that, was, that was the target as well, hey? Yeah, yeah. So do you know what? That day, at sub 220 was the target, but I wasn't that confident. Um, I think I acted confident and I tried to convince myself that I was because you have to mentally believe. But I, I had a bit of a rocky build-up to Berlin. So yeah, I think... Obviously, 2.20 and 8 seconds hurt quite a bit because I thought I was tracking for it. But at the same time, I think I wouldn't have taken that time if you gave it to me. But in hindsight, I probably thought I'd need a really amazing race to be able to do that time. So, so yeah, it did, it did get me pumped, that's for sure. Man, and I know that you're obviously going back to Berlin this year with trying to, trying to get that monkey off your back. But before we get yeah. there, I think, you know, that Berlin marathon, that, that 2.20.08 was sort of the start of what I think was just a crazy marathon season for you because you just went, you went from there, you went straight to London the next week and, and paced one of your athletes to Anya Kalingham to the, the 2.36 it was, what's that? 2.36, yeah, 236. yeah, she was second British, second uh, non-elite, third British, is, or second, uh, yeah. 
That crazy. is insane, bro. And for you as a coach, that must have been such a proud flipping moment. And I mean, she was coming for, from what, a four hour something marathon at the time. Well, obviously training towards yeah. that. But I mean, just yeah. to see that type of improvement. And I mean, for you to just go and after your PB attempt the next week, go and run a 236. Then the following week, go to Chicago, run sub 240. Then go to Cape Town, your home turf. And again, sub 240. I mean, how, how did you how did you feel by the time you got to Cape Town? <laughs> um, like you know what? It took it, it was it was a whole lot of fun, and as you know, I do I do love running an international race vibes. And to be honest, so like the training for that I do uh, in the hundred mile weeks and the longer runs that I do, a lot of them are faster and more tiring than a two thirty six or a two forty marathon. So if you look at it from that point of view, it's it's not as hard as my training in a way like it's for, for me in my mind i'm thinking sweet this is a little it's, it's an easier run than i've been training and there's drinks on route and there's people and there's a vibe like this is awesome type thing so i think from the, the training was key um and then the hardest part for me it wasn't the running at all it was more the traveling and um you know what like Going from London, uh, sorry, so going from Berlin to London was chilled because yeah. it's a quick flight and sort of similar time zones. But then from London to Chicago, I remember, you know, getting out of your routine so much, having all the airplane food, the hotel food, and having jet lag, waking up at weird hours of the morning thinking like, if they call this marathon off, I wouldn't be upset because I could just sleep right now. Mm. So I think... You know, in training runs, you you got your routine, you prepared for them, and you're strong. Like at the start line, your eyes are tired, and you're just like, whoa, like I'm out of routine, I'm, I'm not on my normal diet. Like this is different time zone. And then to go back from Chicago, flying back to London, and then from London, pack my bags quickly, go to fly to Joburg, and then Joburg to Cape Town. Sure. You kind of like once again get to Cape Town like a piece of toast. So <laughs> I think like. That was the hardest part, was the traveling, the jet lag, lack of routine, lack of diet. But the running for me, actually, uh, it wasn't too bad. And yeah, it was such a sweet feeling. Crossing the finish line in Cape Town, do you know what? I was I was mentally tired, I think. You know, it's 160Ks of, of marathons in four weeks. Yeah. And um, I was just, you know, it mentally takes a lot out of you. So I think to, to get through that actually almost meant as much if not more, then crossing that finish line at Berlin. For sure. Like you say, I think it's it's nice that after you got there, you know, you, you it was the end of your season. It allowed you to take that time off that you needed to then start the build up back to, to your Seville Marathon goal. But I want to just ask you, I mean, there, there must be a lot of pressure on you in terms of like, you know, managing your time, you know, managing your family time, managing your work time, all your all of your athletes, your personal. I mean, how, how do you manage all of that? There must be some, some sort of technique involved in terms of prioritizing certain things on different days. And how do you prioritize yourself all the time when, you, when you're also so passionate about the individuals yeah. that you're investing your time in? Yeah, yeah. No, uh, you 100% nailed it, eh? Like, it's, I definitely don't talk about it enough, and I don't publicize it enough, about how tough it actually is. It's it's really hard to manage the time, and I think, you know, my work is flexible because um, I can ship my calls and stuff like that, but when you're really busy on the coaching side of things and on the club side of things um, and trying to put in sub-220 training and still recover and do those extra bits of pieces, it's just, uh, and, you know, trying to see your friends still and, you know, have time for family. There's a little one, another little one on the way. Yeah. It's extremely hard 
And, I, you know, I always say, you know, like I, I tend to publicize the highlights on my socials and the good times. Um, and there's the, the good times definitely outweigh the not so good times. And I could take a step back, um, I suppose, and not, you know, thrive to grow the club and stuff as much as I would. But that's not really my style. I really, you know, want to see it thriving and help as many people as I can. And, yeah, it's a constant balance and something that I don't always get right between work, family, life, friends, mm. training, recovery, all of that. And I think a lot of it, I, I, I try and aim for eight hours sleep. I, I probably get, you know, maybe six and a half, seven at the moment because of it. And I think if I could get that extra bit, maybe it'll help me improve a bit more. Definitely would. But at the same time, then I wouldn't maybe grow the club or, or get my coach runners to where I want to get them to. So always a catch-22. It comes down to what means more to you. And um, yeah. yeah, I suppose it's, it's very, 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 very tough. Well, I must say that on your socials, like you say, you do make it look easy. And, you know, also it's because you're always trying to come out on your social and, and put out these these massive positive vibes all the time. Obviously, like the people that follow you feed yeah. a lot of, of that. It, 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 is a, it is a difficult thing to also be real at the same time because there's a, there's a massive mental element to what you're doing. You know, like you say, you, you're coaching the runners. You've got this element of, yes, they can be following a plan. It doesn't really matter. It's more about coaching that individual. And if you're not in the right mental state for that individual as well, you know, it, it, it works both ways. So it is a very difficult thing to manage, I think, as coaches. And it, it's, it's good to hear that, you know, you are still getting around to it. And I guess there's, there's different times in your season. You know, there's going to be times where you're in key weeks of training and then you are going to be prioritizing yourself as well. And it's different. Like, you just have to make priority as mm. weeks go by, right? 100%. You nailed it. You know what? I think the, the biggest thing is to prioritize things. And I think, you know, the number one priority um, I suppose will always be, well, family always comes first, but then if we're talking work-wise, um, will be to prioritize the runners that I coach because, you know, that is actually my job and it's what I, I want to I bring out, out the best in them. And then I think you start looking at things like YouTube videos and, you know, that sort of content stuff, like that's a whole lot of fun. But at the same time, do you have enough time to do these? How long does it take to do this? Are you, are you going to edit it? Stuff like that. So, yeah, I, I just, I guess I look at my day, prioritize things and, and go from there. Brilliant, man. So uh, one, one thing, sorry, one thing I must say is that, you know, it's pretty cool being an athlete myself and coaching runners that a lot of them do understand that I guess race week for Nick, uh, he's, yeah. you know, he's got civil marathon and I mean, I don't expect him to do that, but a lot of them are like, okay, I've got a niggle, but let me hold off for a few days and, you know, yeah. let him get his race out the way and, and that. So yeah, that was super appreciated. Well, that's cool. You know, they also respect your time. They respect, but, but it's because you, you publicize the, the amount of time that you're putting behind your training as well, you know? So I, that's why I think it works both ways. And it, it's it's great that you found that balance. And I mean, judging by your, your the way your training has been going from what I can see and also the way that you were tracking at Seville, I mean, what was that through the half in 108? Is that correct? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, yeah, I was, I was through half in 68.18. So if you, if you doubled it, that's 216.36. I, I, thought, I thought, oh, it's going to do it. Yeah. I want to ask. I want to ask, <laughs> ask. So, like, do you think if you're a, if you're a sub three hour marathon runner, like for example, I'm gonna use I'm gonna use me as an example. I, I my PB is yeah. two forty five, right? Do you think okay. it's possible? You know, for if you're capable of running a two forty five, do you think then like if you train hard enough and if you tick all the boxes, you you will get to that you know two twenty or sub two thirty area, or do you think that's 
that um, a, a talent that only certain people have or like do you think do you think it's dedication training or do you think certain people yeah. are just you know naturally gifted and obviously like some people won't get there but like i'm just trying to i'm just trying to understand like because obviously you went yeah. from 317 yeah. to 220 you know so yeah I'm, I'm just trying to add it all up and is it possible you yeah, know, yeah. For, for anybody to put in the hard work and, and get to that you know 230 220 yeah. area yeah very good question. So it's probably a question I get I get asked quite a lot is what am I capable of? <laughs> and um, it's not a very straightforward answer. I think, do you know what? It depends a lot from person to person. And I think the only way to truly find, I don't want to say you can run a 220 or a 210 or a 230. The only way you're going to find out is honestly by working as hard as you can, throwing everything at it and, and seeing how close you get and thinking, wow, there's still so much more I can give. So, you know, I'm at the 220 phase now and I feel like there's still so much more I can yeah. give. Eventually, at some stage, I'm going to peak. But that's the only true way. I think it, it does obviously vary from, from person to person. But at the same time, I think if you look at my case, like I'm not the most talented runner by any means. Uh, if you look at my short distance speed compared to people I'm competing against and even, you know, my physique, like I'm a lot bigger and bulkier than 220 marathoners. You know, I weigh 75. A lot of them are between 50. 55 and yeah. 60 even guys my height so if you look at me for example I'm not the most talented I don't have the, the best physique for it and I mean okay 220 isn't um, you know right up there but at the same time it's times that I never ever thought I would run uh, and I still feel like I can get faster so I think it really depends on, on who you are um, but yeah there's only one way to find out and that's to go all in so, so did you I mean you naturally progressed so by like a couple minutes each time yes. you did a, did a PB, um, once you crept under that, say, 245 mark, you went, you know, a couple minutes, couple minutes. And did you say to yourself each marathon, this is my goal, and then obviously go and try and achieve it? You didn't, I mean, you didn't just, you know, stumble upon it, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I probably, you know, what I set goals before each marathon, I would say. And if you look at my times from the start, okay, apart, I went from 317 to sort of 258. But since then, it's been pretty much like five minutes year on year. Yeah. And I feel like at each marathon that I do in each year, I feel like that's the hardest I could have gone. I don't know if I can improve much more. Yeah. And you increase training another year being consistent. And then it's like, wow, that's amazing. I don't know if I can ever do that again. Like yeah. I am cooked after this race. Like I'm never going to run that time again. I'm broken. And then, you know, a couple of years later you shatter it by like, 10 minutes and then yeah. you think the same thing so at all like your your mentality doesn't change because you're giving it your all yeah just your your times get faster yeah. because you're able physical to physical ability improves and my last yeah, question so it, sorry, yeah. no my last question on that topic was just around yeah. like in south africa we've obviously got quite a few ultra marathons you know two oceans and then comrades are like the two big yeah. ones which yeah. like we, a lot of south africans obviously want to run but in your opinion, yeah. if you want to focus on marathons and like work towards a very fast marathon, do you kick comrades and two options, you know, <clears throat> out the window and just focus on marathon? Can you can you train for both? Or if you want to do a fast uh, marathon, do you have to, you know, bail on the long distance stuff? Yeah, yeah. Um, so do you know what? This is my honest thoughts is that if you're targeting comrades and oceans and that's your main goal, you can still do a quick marathon on route, um, especially in, you know, like maybe March time or so. But if you, at the beginning of the year, say, I, I want to run a fast international marathon, and that, that, that's my goal, or well, I want to run even a fast local marathon, I want to really be quick on that, then I think you're much better off focusing on that. Yeah. 
Like two oceans and comrades will always be there. Remember, just because a lot of people do it doesn't mean you should be doing it or it's the right thing to do. It's a massive, massive sacrifice. And by peaking at the marathon distance, there's huge benefits to it because it's super rewarding. You can, you know, you can do shorter distance, 5K, 10K, yeah. 21, and then progress that all the way through to the marathon. Whereas when you're doing comrade training, it's like slogging it out, week in yeah. and week out. And also what, so, I, yeah, what, that's what, I was what I feel on top of that, just to add, Nick, I also believe that, you know, if I'm focusing on getting my marathon faster, so say my marathon's 250, I want to go sub 240. If that is my focus, inevitably, I'm also going to be able to run a faster comrades eventually. So if I just shift my focus away from the ultras for a little bit, just to allow myself to bide more time, like you say, comrades, the, the, all those ultras are going to always be there. So it just, I guess, depends on what your focus is. And it's always hard in this country where everyone around you is always training for those ultras and always pushing you towards those ultras to just be disciplined enough to and, and comfortable to say, look, I will come back to them one day. And it takes confidence in also what, you, what your running journey looks like. 100%, exactly, yeah. So I think it was sort of like, I think if I was in the South African running scene still and never came to London, I'd probably still do comrades you and, and, and you are. But it was such a blessing for me in a way that I've come this side and uh, realized what I'm capable of the marathon distance. I don't know if I've ever been able to realize that being being based in the environment that I was and targeting, you know, solely comrades pretty much. So, yeah, I'll, I'll definitely be back one day when the yeah. time is right, but it'll always be then. The time hasn't been right for me because I still feel like I've got a lot of speed to unlock, hopefully. Well, that, that feeds me right into like the last few touch points before wrapping up this conversation. And obviously, yeah. it's it's where where is Nick Bester going to next in terms of his future goals, his aspirations? I know that you, you've touched on comrades a couple of times. Uh, so perhaps let us know. Do you, do you feel like you've got that gold medal comrades in you? Um, yeah. So, okay. So first of all, I'm definitely going to attempt comrades again in the future. And when I do, I'm going to train properly for it. As in like, I'm going to focus as much as I focused on sub-220 training, maybe even a little bit more for, for comrades. Like comrades will always have a special place in my heart, I suppose. Got me, that's what got me into running in the first place. But at the same time, it would be such a sacrifice, especially with another little one on the way. Um, I would need to, like training in London for comrades is tough as well because, like I said, it's flat and perfect conditions a lot of the time. So I would need to venture out of London a lot of time on my legs and stuff like that. So uh, I'm 33 at the moment. Comrades, maybe a few years' time from now, who knows when. Maybe I give the marathon a crack for a few years and then when I start plateauing, be like, okay, now's the time for comrades. But yes, when I make a return, I will definitely be going for a gold medal and yeah, maybe even a bit more. I mean, you know, it doesn't hurt to dream, but at the same time, I don't want to get carried away at the same time. Um, say it. Say so, it. Say it. Comrades yeah. winner. You wouldn't be the first <laughs> big bester, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that pops up all the time. So, yeah, exactly. So, crazy. And <laughs> obviously, that sub 220, that is another goal. Berlin coming up in 2023. Well, this year, at the end of this year, you're going to be giving it your everything. Uh, are you going to be looking to adjust anything in your training? Is there any, obviously, all of these marathons that you've been running, you've been learning a lot from them. There's a lot of yeah. experience yeah. and lessons learned. So, is there is there anything that needs to change in your training for Berlin coming up? Are you going to try different approaches? or is it just a case yeah. of continuing and layering on? 
No, no, no. So I'm actually, I'm going to change my approach for burden a little bit. Um, just before I got onto this call, I actually got an email from them saying um, that they're giving me another um, sub-elite entry, hey, which was amazing. Hey. So, yeah, some nice motivation out there. I'm going to have, have drinks on route, which is great. Brilliant. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. But at the same time, you know what? I think from Seville, like, it, it's cool that you can learn from each race. And I, I went through halfway in 68, 18, feeling like, you know, I was pushing six or seven out of 10, like it is super, super comfortable. So for me, the speed is not an issue. I think it's uh, that that last sort of 10K is, is what I really need to work on. And it's more the stamina. So I might adjust my training from the point of view that I might not do as, as, as much speed work, but I might do more threshold work. And like in particular, there's a lot of research that's showing um, more beneficial training from like double threshold days. Sort of like what the, how the Norwegians train the super blocks, um, the Ingebrigtsen, for super example. blocks of training. <laughs> they, they're getting very the super block. <laughs> yeah, so so I might actually put in a super block of um, <laughs> super block. more like really work on you know that stamina threshold part of things because yeah, I, it'll be it'll be cool to change things up. Yeah, um, no, brilliant, man. That's awesome. I don't know where I'm going to sacrifice it, but yeah, I'll, I'll definitely speak it a bit. And goals and aspirations in terms of your, your coaching and best athletics is just to keep on growing that club, keep on growing your team, hey? 100%, yeah. So, like, I think, you know what, best athletics is it's a new age club. So, there's a lot of those old school running clubs around, whereas best athletics is like, um, you, it's, it's pretty cool. You sign up online, there's an app, it's like, you know, it's, it, everyone's welcome type thing. So, it's, it's been really cool to create that supportive, friendly environment uh, where people feel like they can just join. So I hope that continues and I don't know where it's going to get to. I don't know where the end point is at all, but you know, I just want to keep going with that. And yeah, on the coaching side of things, I think I just like, I want to see that where it is now is amazing. And if it just, you know, naturally organically keeps on doing what it's doing, then then that'll be amazing. Uh, but yeah, I think, you know, the biggest things is that I suppose what makes the club special is the people in the club, a lot of it. And I've realized, you know, it's all about, you know, the right fit and, and having the right people because that creates the right environment and culture yeah. for people to thrive in. Brilliant, man. Look, just one last thing is if there's people <laughs> listening to this conversation and they, they've, they've just, you've hit it on the nail, you know, you like, they're so passionate about running. They've been thinking about it. They, they, they don't want to chase their current job anymore. They want to dive into it fully. They believe they've got what it takes. They know they've got that knowledge. What would be one piece of advice that you would give to them with the, with the hindsight of what you learned over the last couple of years? So the first piece of advice would be don't do anything stupid. Like <laughs> don't just quit. Oh, I was hoping you would <laughs> just say just, just do it. <laughs> no, because yeah, that that would come back to bite me in the bum. But um, yeah, I think you know what, like let it transition naturally. Uh, like maybe coach one or two people on the side first. If you find that you and you're good at it and they're thriving and it's for you, then you know, okay, cool, there's potential. Then start like building a little bit of a base, and then then you can transition into it. Don't just be like inspired like oh my word I've <laughs> done an amazing race I quit my job and then you know you don't I'm do it because like, like I said I'm, I'm, inspi- I'm inspired I'm going to do it I'm going to poach all the next clients how's that <laughs> I'll start by one or two come join um, and then yeah the, the other thing I would say is just allow yourself like give it a bit of time because like look in my case it was six months of going sideways backwards a little bit forwards a little bit like and it was a tough six months and then from there, things started working a bit more. So give, give yourself a bit of time for it. Wow. 
Thank you so much. Yeah, bro. I this think it's been amazing. I think it was such an insightful conversation. You're honestly a legend. Um, yeah. we, we, we're so, so grateful for you taking the time to come on the show. I think the, the listeners have learned a lot about you today, a lot about what they can do and, and the fact that there's no real ceiling on their achievements if they're just willing to push through it and, and put their body through the pain of it. So thank you so much for taking the time. We really appreciate it. And we hope to have you back on here sometime soon. Cool, guys. Awesome to catch up with you. And um, when I come in November time, I'll bring some best of kit for you guys. Yay. We'll give you a Dolphins, <laughs> a dolphins vest as well. Yeah. And maybe we'll give I'll you a shirt. I'll rip it you in London. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, yeah. thanks so much. Cool. Yeah. Thank you for listening to another episode of Making a Runner. We hope you enjoyed it and found value in the show. Don't forget to rate and leave a review on your favorite streaming platform. And remember to share with your running buddies. Follow our journey on our socials and feel free to engage with us on all things running. We wish you a pleasant run wherever the road or trail may take you. Bye for now.